Hello again. Uh, thank you uh, uh, for staying with us for this long. Again, I'm Michael Cannon with the Cato Institute, and now we're going to hear from our keynote speaker. Our keynote speaker is a uh, distinguished expert on health law and policy. Uh, he has been working in health law for a couple of decades now, including in the private sector and a couple of stints now at the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, in the General Counsel's Office and elsewhere, and now he is uh, the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services. Uh, thank you for joining us, Eric Hargan. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Uh, great to be here at Cato today. Um, the topic uh, you all have been discussing that we're going to be discussing here, which, uh, addressing the high price of American health care, uh, is a top priority for this administration as well, President Trump and Secretary Azar. Uh, when President Trump talks about the forgotten men and women of America, as I know you've heard, uh, he indicates by that that he knows that many, maybe most of them, struggle with the high cost of health care and a system that disempowers them rather than meeting their needs. Uh, we know that we have to consider ways to move towards a health system that's responsive to patients and that brings us into the 21st century fully. Uh, and we know that market-based reforms are really the only way to get there. At the head of HHS, you have Secretary Azar, uh, who I worked with for years before at HHS. Uh, and he's accepted that task. And all of us at HHS have been focused on that goal. And we've identified a few initiatives that we think will transform the entire healthcare system into one that pays for value, which is one of the keynotes here. Uh, these reforms, we believe, will mean better access to care for Americans at a lower cost and in a sustainable way. Now, when I say sustainable, I don't mean it in a fashionable green sense, uh, but in a sense that we want our reforms to last and succeed because they're based on human wants and needs and a market system that ultimately serves those wants and needs. Therefore, we can accomplish fundamental positive changes by empowering patients and healthcare providers and the market that serves them, not controlling them. Besides enabling the better emergence of a market system in the distribution and finance of healthcare, we also have to maintain and enhance the provision of innovative medical products in our country. It was our researchers working in a free market system who created the first chemotherapies for cancer and effective treatments for HIV, among thousands of other cures and treatments. Everyone here knows that companies and researchers from the United States are going to be largely the ones who create the new treatments, find new cures, and change the lives of millions in the future. Today's deadly diseases will be tomorrow's curable ailments because of work done here in America. But if we can't afford the medicine after it's invented, the invention of the medicine becomes an academic exercise, not a miracle cure that extends lives. The best way to make sure the next generation of treatments is available for American patients is, we believe, to bring costs down today while building a system that enables innovation, that rewards innovation, and reduces the elements of our system that prevent affordability. That's how we believe we will make an impact and create something that lasts. So I'd like to detail how we intend to put this mindset into action, how we plan to build on the success that we've had already. Over the last decade, as Secretary Azar has laid out, uh, the pharmaceutical market has experienced four problems that have strained the finances of Americans. High list prices, set by pharmaceutical manufacturers, seniors and government programs overpaying for drugs due to lack of the latest negotiation tools, rising out-of-pocket costs, 
and foreign governments that have been free riding off American investment in innovation. What unites these four problems and the reforms we have planned to tackle them is that we don't have a true market for pharmaceuticals today. In order to have a market, as we all know, as you all in this room particularly know, you have to have pricing information and you have to have competition. In our drug market, too often, prices are totally hidden from the consumer, a product of behind-the-scenes dealing, and competition is crimped by abuse of powerful government regulation. Since day one, we in the administration have been working to fix this problem, to bring real competition and some sense of sanity to our drug markets. For example, in 2017, CMS finalized a change to how Medicare pays for drugs under the 340B program that will save our seniors an estimated $320 million in out-of-pocket drug spending in just 2018 alone. The agency has also promoted choice by making policy changes to speed up the substitution of generic drugs in Medicare Part D plans and lifted restrictions that prevented Part D insurers from offering as much choice in plans as consumers wanted and allowing the markets to work better. We at HHS are excited about the health care and drug pricing reforms included in the President's budget, and like the President, we're working to go even further. Earlier this year, the President introduced his blueprint for lowering drug prices and reducing out-of-pocket costs. It's a plan that we believe will put American patients first through four strategies that confront the problem head-on, and all of which involve harnessing individual choice and market forces. The four strategies are fixing incentives in a highly regulated industry that are driving up list prices, giving Medicare Part D plans the same kinds of tool for negotiation that are successfully used by employer purchase plans, boosting competition in drug markets overall, and lowering out-of-pocket out costs for patients by giving them the information that they need to choose. These strategies will bring a level of pricing information and competition to drug markets that we haven't seen for a long time. One of HHS's first major actions we're looking at is requiring drug companies to include their list price on their television commercials. Now, I know not everyone here will be completely in favor of something like that, but everyone does get bombarded by these ads for one medicine or another while we're watching TV, and drug companies are already required to put a great deal of information in them. But a critical piece of information that patients need is missing, the price. And how are we supposed to have a market for drugs without prices for them? Americans perhaps should know the price of a drug before asking if their, their doctor, if XYZ, is right for them. When consumers don't know prices, the sellers can unfortunately undermine market competition, and the price of prescriptions therefore only rises. For a more fundamental and long-term reform, we may need to push the system toward one without rebates, one where pharmacy benefit managers and drug companies merely negotiate fixed price contracts. In the current complicated world of drug pricing, pharmacy benefit managers negotiate substantial rebates from drug manufacturers, then pass that, pass that money on to the insurer while keeping a share for themselves. In short, PBMs get paid a percentage of the list price and are therefore rewarded when those list prices go up. In the system, everyone wins except the patients because all of the players besides the patient have price insensitivity. The current market system unfortunately fails to incentivize competition. Instead, this opaque system incentivizes rent-seeking. Secondly, we need to incorporate more negotiating tactics into Medicare to help lower the cost of drugs. Dictating prices rather than using market principles hurts the American people. 
Now I say this as someone who helped implement the Part D program a long time ago, 15 years ago, when I was at HHS under President Bush. And I'll tell you at the time, internally, I suspected that the program would cost billions or tens of billions of dollars more than projected. I mean, that's obvious. Most government programs turn out to cost more than expected. Uh, but Part D has been tremendously successful. It's actually come in tens of billions of dollars less than projected. Um, and I believe that is because uh, that market principles were incorporated into the Part D program in an unusual way, at least unusual for HHS. Uh, one analyst has said that Part D is responsible for about 60% of the lower than expected Medicare cost growth over the last decade. That's because of lower than projected costs of the drug program. So it's, it's a fiscally responsible part of this as well, as well as being market oriented. In other words, by putting some market principles into the Part D program, we've been able to lower the fiscal cost to the government. Again, some element of sustainability is driven by market principles. Because Mar Part D has built more along market principles than other parts of the program, uh, it has succeeded in this way. However, since its introduction, it has failed to keep up with the private marketplace when it comes to managing drugs and negotiating lower drug prices. Uh, it's sort of been stuck a little bit in amber ever since its beginning. Government programs are just that way. Uh, they were set, it was fairly innovative at the time, 15 years later, it's kind of fallen behind in our, in our view. Uh, now, seniors are, miss, are missing savings, taxpayers are losing billions because we don't have a full range of bargaining power. So HHS will soon be working with Medicare Part D private plans to give them more market-based instruments to bargain for better deals with drug companies. Instead of the government coming in as sort of single monopsony buyer, Part D plans, which are private plans that administer the program, are going to be given more negotiating tools for themselves. To build on these market-based reforms even further, we're also going to aim at fixing Part B, which covers physician-administered drugs. Currently, HHS gets a bill from a physician, and we pay it. That's it. No negotiating price. There's no bargaining for potential alternatives. There's no marketing competition. There's a pay formula. That's that. The formula, in fact, incentivizes physicians to prescribe more, more expensive drugs. The whole system may also well tempt drug manufacturers to create medications that fit Part B rather than Part D. Part of the blueprint from President Trump involves leveraging private sector options that currently exist within Part B to make drug manufacturers compete for money from Medicare. We're also going to examine whether we can move some Part B drugs as appropriate into Part D. While patient access is paramount, the more drugs purchased by competitive private plans, the better. We also need to promote competition in the pharmaceutical marketplace. We all know that when companies compete, the consumer wins. During the 1980s, Congress passed laws, pretty far-seeing laws, that streamlined FDA approval processes dramatically, making the United States the most vibrant generic drug market in the world. Uh, while we pay less for generic drugs compared to other nations, we can still do better. Um, so much for pricing issues. With regard to competition, today pharmaceutical companies sometimes use programs meant for safety to undermine generic competition. Since the rollout of the Trump administration blueprint, however, the FDA has brought forward the names of companies that may be abusing these rules and issued two new guidances clarifying safety processes that might have acted as obstacles to generic approvals. So you can see that in some cases, well-meaning rules are being gamed by the system. I think 
Scott Gottlieb, the commissioner of FDA, calls them shenanigans, uh, where the companies take government rules, use them against their competitors. It's a common game. Um, however, we're trying to put a stop to that and encouraging more competition. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, there is an effort to lower out-of-pocket costs for American patients. When patients can't afford their medication, many simply drop their regimen. Since the announcement of the, of the blueprint, CMS has informed Part D plans it's not acceptable to prohibit local pharmacists from helping their patients find lower cost options. Patients deserve to know about cheaper alternatives. All of these ideas are based on a single view. When there's market competition, when there's pricing information, prices go down and consumers receive the benefits. In short, our, our agenda puts patients first and gives them the tools to live healthier lives. And that goes beyond the world of drug pricing. Uh, both President Trump and our Secretary Azar recognize that there's something fundamentally wrong with our healthcare system in America. It simply doesn't work like the rest of our economy. With few exceptions, we don't sort through options as we do with other services. We never know the price, and we have very little idea of the quality we're getting. So let's all close our eyes and think about a wonderful day. A day when American healthcare functions the same way the rest of our economy does with competition driven by consumer knowledge and genuine choice. Now, there are some who argue that healthcare is immune to the market, that it's special somehow, that it needs to be controlled from the top down. We know that just isn't true, and HHS is ready to show that the free market can deliver the healthcare that the American people want. All of this is why Secretary Azar has made value-based transformation of our healthcare system a major priority. Now, the push for a value-based system is not a new idea. Um, secretaries from both Republican and Democratic administrations have worked really for decades to change the paradigm in how we purchase health care. But not enough progress has been made heretofore. Uh, in fact, value-based care is often just seen as a buzzword. It's been around for decades, really. But we are going to put meat on the bones here. This isn't just going to be sort of casting wishes out there about what value-based care is, but we're starting to create some real tangible ideas about how we're going to drive this forward. Now, one problem is that entrenched interests, empowered by our heavily government-regulated, government-financed system, have been slow to accept the need for change. And, however, we're going to push for a lot of bold reforms, along with a host of smaller reforms. Now, incremental changes, we think, are also good. This is a place for bold reform, but it's also a place for incremental reform. The incremental changes we make today, and we're making a lot of them, we believe will lead to fundamental reform down the road, and that the seeds are being planted to have a system founded on competition and transparency. President Trump, as you may know, is not afraid of being bold, uh, nor is Secretary Azar. HHS is ready to disrupt existing arrangements that put special interests ahead of the American patient. The change will not be easy, but it's the right thing to do. And it's the only way to bring American health care into the 21st century. Patients must be in charge of determining value in the health care sector. There are four areas, again four, you'll see a theme here, uh, four areas we're focusing on to, to turn talk of reform into a market-oriented, value-based reality. Consumers need greater control over health information, and to do that, we have to promote interoperable and accessible health information technology that's focused on patients. Past efforts by HHS, I've been part of them, have focused on using federal authority to micromanage this process. Now we're working with the private sector to help them do it, encouraging them to lead. That's the only way this will come to pass. 
We also need to encourage transparency and pricing, as I said, from both payers and providers. There's no reason why a patient can't know what to expect on their bill. We're also particularly interested in the problem of exceptionally large bills that catch patients by surprise. To tackle this problem, HHS recently released a request for information, asking stakeholders how we can work together on this issue to help the American people. Now, when we do these RFIs, these requests for information, we take them very seriously. They're not, they're not sort of pro forma. Uh, if you have ideas, put them in. These things are read very seriously. I mean, this is, and especially in this administration, I would take that opportunity. If you have ideas, bring them forward. We're reading them, I'm reading them. We're trying to pipe these ideas in. We're trying to open the doors here. So this is not a dead letter, it's not pro forma. We have ideas in-house, we have people with expertise in-house to do these things, but we are legitimately looking for ideas out there. Uh, we don't think we have all the answers, and that's why we're doing this. Experimental models in Medicare and Medicaid, to go into another leg, can drive innovation, value, and quality throughout the entire system. The Leviathan, such as it is, does not have to be the backdoor to single payer, which we know would be impossible to implement and would fail. California and Vermont, who have endeavored to determine what single payer might actually cost, have given us all the evidence we could possibly need to show that. That is a dead end. Instead, we can use programs that we have to support market-based ideas that empower individuals with more choices. That's one of the reasons why we published another request for information regarding the possibility of direct contracting models within Medicare. This could be a tremendous opportunity to expand access to primary care and dramatically cut regulatory burden on physicians. And finally, we need to get government out of the way of those working towards value-based transformation. In many cases, private payers and providers want to offer services that we often think government only can provide, like ride-sharing to get elderly or low-income patients to appointments. Unfortunately, current interpretations of various well-meaning anti-fraud protections may actually be impeding this kind of useful coordination and integration of services. We don't think that the government needs to protect grandma from a ride-sharing service taking her to her doctor's appointment. Consumers in the healthcare system need more information if we're gonna have a value-based system. I like to use this an analogy. No one would ever go to a gas station that didn't list their prices. Even worse, can you imagine what it would be like to have to use an insurance provider to fill up your tank? So imagine having gas insurance. You wouldn't even know what you were going to pay, who was going to pay it, how much it would be, the prices you just pull up. See what it's like. This is the problem that we have. No one would ever put up with that from a gas station. But every day, Americans put up with that in their health care. That's why we need to have a system that puts patients in charge of their own health care dollars. Providers and insurers must become more transparent about their pricing and billing, and they need to base what they're paid on results. That's what works. Empowering the American people by giving them information and allowing them to have choices is the best way to lower the cost of health care in our country. The supporters of government-run health care want our system to be like taxi companies. We want it to be like ride-sharing companies, to take another analogy. Obviously, we have a long way to go until we're there. But when it comes to supporting market-based health care, that will set the stage for a system based on competition and transparency we have already seen major progress under the first 500 days of the Trump presidency. This president promised to make our government more accountable to the needs of the American people, and he has delivered on that promise. For example, 
FDA has approved or tentatively approved more than 1,000 new generic drugs, a record number for a single year. Creating more generics means more competition, and it means lower costs for consumers. When, when three generic alternatives enter the market, the price of a medication usually goes down by 40%, and that's without government dictate. We don't have to have that. Simply having more entrance in the market brings the costs down. We can have a drug, drug market that is safe and highly competitive, and under this president, FDA is showing how that's possible. CMS has also been on a roll, taking action to promote a value-based agenda by putting patients first, reducing paperwork burdens, and advocating for transparency. HHS has also supported more competition in the individual insurance market by proposing to open up more access to short-term limited-duration insurance plans. Uh, we're showing that market-based ideas that empower individuals with choice and knowledge are the best way to take our healthcare system into the 21st century. Under the bold vision that we've been given by President Trump, we are building a system that delivers better, cheaper healthcare to more Americans by paying for value rather than procedures and creating competition in the drug market. And we're doing it because we know the status quo cannot hold. We have to move on and market-based reforms are the only way forward. We all know that the demographic shift that's approaching as baby boomers continue to age and retire is going to change the way we do healthcare in this country. In fact, it already has. Luckily, we have a forward-looking president and a secretary who know that market-based tactics work and more freedom for individuals creates success. So I have no problem in saying, we have no problem in saying that these changes are going to hurt entrenched interests. In fact, that's the unavoidable fact about a real marketplace. It's dynamic, not static. If you want to stay on top, you have to earn it. The first 500 days of this presidency have made me optimistic about the future. There's more change coming, more freedom on the way, and I believe that one day we will look back on this presidency and our time at HHS as a time when we transformed American healthcare into a real competitive marketplace. And I am excited to be a part of it. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. Eric? Okay. And uh, I want to thank you all uh, for coming. Unfortunately, due to scheduling constraints, uh, Deputy Secretary Hargan is not going to be able to take questions. But I wanted to thank you. Sure. Thank you, Michael. Eric, thank you so much for coming. I also wanted to thank uh, Eric Ferguson, uh, who is the subject of the video we showed you earlier. I want to thank David Hyman and Charlie Silver for uh, putting together this fantastic book. I want to uh, thank also all the participants uh, that helped us discuss the themes in Overcharge, including uh, Elizabeth Rosenthal, uh, Andy Slavitt, Gail Walensky, John McDonough, and Megan McArdle. Uh, I want to thank all of the people in the Cato Institute's publications department and its marketing department and events department, uh, especially for putting on uh, this conference. Overcharge is available for purchase out in the Winter Garden right now. And it is available for pre-order online at Amazon.com. And to follow the ongoing discussion about uh, overcharge and, and the themes it raises uh, online, uh, please follow the hashtag overchargedbook. And with that, I will invite you all to join us upstairs for lunch on the second floor in the George Yeager Conference Center. Thank you very much.